often faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera. Great to be with you as always. The book, Bring It Home, it's officially in the world. I don't have to keep telling you it's coming. <laughs> it's here. If you want it, go order it. That's all I'm going to say about it. Hop on Amazon, hop on my website, mattkinzera.com, and order your copy today. Also, that free seven-day devotional, Finding Faith Again, is still up on the website for you to grab. And then the thing I'm excited about, because it's the newest thing and because the holidays are upon us, they're really close, my wife Susie and I are offering an Advent experience this year. And what it is, is to celebrate the wonder of Christmas, we are going to invite you to join a four-week virtual virtual Advent experience with us that you can enjoy either by yourself or as a family. The way it works is so we'll each Sunday we're going to send you a link and in those links what each experience will include is number one some original holiday music because my wife is spectacular great songwriter and Christmas is her jam and so she writes some great holiday music also some great arrangements of classic Christmas carols that you'll recognize and then uh, there's going to be a guided like this unique guided devotional that will take you through in a video format each week. And then finally, there's going to be a downloadable devotional that you can grab for yourself. And then at the end of that, there's going to be some questions for reflection. So we invite you to join the experience. It's just $25 for the whole shebang, whether you do it by yourself or whether you do it as a family. And that also is just on the front page of my website. Just go to mattkinzera.com and get that today. Well, I'm not going to lie. I am sick of talking about my book. So today, let's talk about somebody else's book for once. Is that all right? So my guest today is a fellow Lake Drive author. Her name is Julia Rocky, and she just recently released a book called Amen, Questions for a God I Hope Exists. And it's just... Uh, The title might not sound like it's a fun read, but it's a really enjoyable read because there's there's so much art and poetry in it, uh, along with just some really well thought out, you know, I guess essays we'll call them. But I'll let her describe the book for you. So enjoy this conversation with my new friend and fellow Lake Drive author, Julia Rocky. Julia, welcome to the Chasing Goodness podcast. I'm so excited for this interview, a fellow Lake Drive Books author. And the book is Amen, Questions for a God I Hope Exists. I should say that differently, right? Because it's amen with a question mark. So amen, questions (laughs) for a God I hope exists. I think I said it better the second time. You've captured it and your podcast listeners won't appreciate the, the shrug that came up at the at the end of it. But that too is how I've been saying it to people. Amen. Kind of shrug emoji. What? Okay. Yes. Yes. And I was just telling you before we hit record that one of the things I love about this book is it's not just a book that you'll open up and read all the way through like a normal book. You'll read. So basically it's set up where you'll have a section where you're maybe reflecting or telling a little story and then there's poetry and it's just, it's, it's equal parts 
a beautiful book and a beautiful piece of art. I guess that's how I would describe it, getting getting through it. Thank it's, you. Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, for that that lovely description of it. It's it's uh, it's kind of awe-inspiring to have something that you have seen all the blood, sweat, and tears go into and then have somebody reflect it back to you as art. I just really appreciate that. It makes it, it makes all the blood, sweat, and tears worth it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you've been, how long ago did, we'll get into what it's about and all of that as we keep going here, but how long have you been working on this project? How long has it been like in your heart and mind? The book has its earliest origins in a blog that I began when I was in my early 20s. And I'm now 39. So it's been upwards of 15 years. And I began the blog when I was in my first job at a college. I was living back at home with my parents. And was I, I am a practicing Roman Catholic. I was a practicing Roman Catholic then. And I found myself in this weird gray zone in the Catholic Church, specifically where I wasn't part of the charismatic teen worship. I wasn't yet married with kids. And I found that in my suburban parish, there was not a lot of ministry to my age group. And the people I was meeting, if they were still practicing, it was because they tended to be a little more dogmatic or conservative um, in their approach. And that was not my approach. And it's not my approach today. And I just found myself starting to ask a lot of questions of my my own faith and my role in the church and my role within uh, a worship community. So as I write in the book, I did what any self-respecting millennial did and I started a blog about it and put put all started to put all those questions and prayers and thoughts into the void of the internet hoping to connect with other people. And over time I just kept up with the blog as a writing practice and had my little um, bevy of, of reliable readers uh, led by my mother, who is my, my number one fan. And the blog and the writing eventually matured and grew in faith as I matured and grew in faith. So after, you know, a, a decade or so of that, I looked back on everything I'd written and started to see this arc uh, of questions and this arc of wondering and wandering. And I thought it would be pretty cool to put this all in a manuscript and see what emerges. And that was, that was when Amen, as, uh, as people are hopefully holding in their hands right now, uh, came to be. That is, that's an amazing story. I don't know if you knew this, but we're Catholic buddies because I grew up Catholic. And, hey, uh, there yeah, you go. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a sheer joy when I get my fellow Catholic brothers and sisters on the podcast because yes. it doesn't happen, happen often. But when it does, you can just feel it. Like you can just feel like the world just was made right when you just showed up on my screen. It's like, oh, everything makes sense suddenly because Julia's here and she's Catholic. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, it was a big part of my upbringing and, uh, you know, still a real big part of who I am to this day. And, and I love that that piece of my story. And I love that piece of your story. The, the thing about the Catholic Church that leads into your book, and I, this isn't a hit on the Catholic Church. This is basically organized religion as a whole. Like my, my view of the Catholic church growing up. And even like when I kind of broke apart from the Catholic church, I remember having these conversations with my dad and he would just be like, we just, the Catholic church is just the authority. You know, we just, you know, all these other churches are just their second, third down the line, but the Catholic church, you know, has always had the knowledge, you know, has always been right, I think. And what you've discovered through your blogging, through your just life experience 
is that um, you have questions and sometimes the authority figures within our religious constructs may not want to engage in those questions. But what you found through your blog, what I've found through this podcast is that most people are really excited about the opportunity to dialogue about doubts. And, you know, I love the, you know, the tagline of the book, right. Is just so amazing questions for a God. I hope exists. Like you said so much in so little space there. Um, And I'm sure that is grabbing a lot of people's attention. I agree with you a thousand percent, Matt, in that people are not only willing to engage the questions, they are thirsting to ask them. And uh, one of the incredible things that I've encountered over the years, befriending friends of different faith backgrounds, of no faith backgrounds, is that people derive not joy, I think they derive satisfaction from grappling with those questions because it, it feels enriching to have introspection and reflection in our lives. And I think as people move away from organized religion, they lose a traditional model and space where they could have engaged with those questions. And there's not, I don't think there's a true um, secular corollary yet. You know, some people might say, oh, social media, but I don't think social media doesn't bring um, the liturgical sensibility (laughs) that I think sometimes opens people up to introspection, contemplation, reflection, quiet, self-expression. That that is something that a, a healthy and thriving spiritual community can help provide. And in my own small way, that's kind of what I'm hoping to achieve with the book, adding my little questions to an an ongoing tradition of uh, Midrash, you know, like in the Jewish tradition, um, to invite people in. And if if they're not finding that in a contemporary worship space, then maybe they can feel uh, like they have that community with me and the other readers. Yeah, I think that's, I believe with all my heart that that's just the space that we're in historically right now, talking about faith and religion, is that people are finding their new ways of expression of their faith. You know, millions of people leaving the church in America, at least every single year, but still most of those people are really hungry and really desiring a connection with God, a connection to community. And so now it's almost the question of, okay, what does that mean? And I don't think there's going to be a single answer. I think there's going to be such a myriad of answers, including spaces like what you're doing with the book and even still with the blog and things like that. Is the blog still ongoing? Oh, yes. Yes. I I have my my monthly blog post and it's been in the past few years in particular. uh, It's interesting how much more I've written about parenting as (laughs) and, and kind of the spirituality of parenting. And it's also been a great space to reflect on this writing and publishing journey and, and how that in a time of disconnection due to the pandemic, it has been a way to keep me anchored to that part of Mm. my spirituality. And it also underscored, because I haven't been able to attend mass regularly uh, over the past two and a half years, uh, just how much the community meant to me. You know, I, I don't, not that I ever took it for granted. I don't think I appreciated the depth of its importance in my life. And 
once I couldn't have that and wasn't even really watching online anymore because it was such a subpar experience with two little ones in the house and nobody was paying attention. Uh, I, it's something that I have never stopped grieving since March 15th, 2020. In fact, you're catching me at an interesting moment because this coming weekend, now that my little ones are vaccinated, my husband and I uh, are going to venture back out to a church service this weekend. And I am almost giddy with excitement just to be around other humans again in this space. And we are part of a uh, progressive, social justice-oriented Catholic church, uh, very, very accepting of questions, very uh, accepting of others, open and inviting to all. And I, I just can't wait to be in that the physical space with with people again um, to see to see where my faith is right now at this moment to to reflect against them to see to see myself. Uh, to see myself reflected and and gauge kind of where I am and what maybe new questions have emerged in the since I saw them last. Yeah, what a what an interesting time. That's gonna be that's gonna be fun. I'll be anxious to hear about it. I'll keep track of the blog because I bet I bet we'll hear about your trip to church. Um, <laughs> Absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That there's so much truth to that. So my wife and I we like grew up going to to church, and then we when we got married we got involved with serving in church then ended up being you know staff at church for years and years and years and then had a really tough experience toward the end and like as of today i don't i guess i haven't thought about it but we haven't probably regular gone regularly gone to a church for maybe six years or so and it's easy to say i love my sunday mornings not going to church and there's some truth to that but we still on a regular basis, just yesterday, we were talking about just the missing, the longing for of that community, because there's something, you know, it's always happened. It's always been, seems like it always will be in some way, shape or form. And so it is like a piece of you just kind of gets taken out. And and maybe there's, you know, I agree that like ebb and flows of, of life maybe will cause you to engage more or less in, in given circumstances. But there is like, there's something to be said about that longing for not necessarily like-minded people, but longing for uh, people that are trying to understand faith on on any level. Now, you you introduce in your book just a tons of different like thoughts and questions and doubts that you had, and and the way you do it is is really wonderful because it's very what's the right way to say it? Like as you're saying it, you you can almost feel like I could almost feel myself like echoing in your words, you know, it's like, oh, I feel like she's talking the way that I think, you know, which was so exciting about it. Was there like, for me, for me, kind of my, whatever you want to call it, my, my slide from organized religion really started in a couple of really specific areas. So I really struggled with the idea of hell. Like it just messed with my head. Mm -hmm. And then I really struggled with the idea that Jesus isn't for everybody. He's just for, you know, straight people or Christian people or whatever. Uh, was there something for you that kind of got you going down this, this space of thinking or doubting or questioning? I, for one, am always uh, overwhelmed by our mortality. Mm. Like, and maybe that's one of the reasons I'm a writer <laughs> and why I remain religious is those are two avenues that help me wrestle with the very real scientific fact that we all die. 
And how does the inescapable fact of that death, death add meaning to our life? So that for me is a very animating principle. <laughs> I'll share this example. Just, just last night, I was reading uh, to my four-year-old at bedtime, and it was a book about dinosaurs. And the book closes with a statement basically saying, keep in mind, dinosaurs lived for, were on earth for 120 million years, and humans have only been around for a few million the end, close the book. And my four-year-old looks at me and very matter-of-factly, dispassionately asks, mommy, are we going to stay here or are we going to die soon? And I, despite my internal screaming at that point, as like such a huge question. I, I attempted to match his calm uh, demeanor and answer the in the spirit it was being asked. And I talked a little bit about like, well, we're all doing our best to protect our planet so that we're here for a long time, but we're here for right now. And he was very satisfied with that. And I didn't over explain it because God forbid you ever over explain to a four-year-old. Um, isn't that, that's what, what we always do, right? We're like, we, yeah. we, like our kids are almost always super calm when they're asking quite when they're little, like years are, they're always super calm. And then we hear a question like that. It's like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. And feeling like we have to like give this huge thought out answer. And they're just like, Oh, we're doing our best. Oh, good, mom. That's great. <laughs> yeah, great. And so I was trying to trying to see myself through his eyes and capture that sense of calm because I thought maybe he has a healthier attachment to the idea of impermanence and geologic time than I do. But that is exactly the type of thing that blows my mind to think about. And I get, I almost have this um, sense of vertigo considering it. Like I'm standing at a cliff edge and it, it's just such a huge concept to me. Um, so a lot of my questions come from that, you know, the, of the human condition. Why are we here? What are we meant for? Who put us here? And, uh, I am yet another person in a very, very long and extensive line of, of humans who are examining that question and answering it in their own way. Yes. Can, can I read, this is, this is, uh, one of your poems, that or or prayers however you want to say it i'll let you kind of describe what they are but this one just stopped me in my tracks and like it's one of those moments where i just had to like feel it and so it's called you call it the suspension of disbelief and in, in your book it says perhaps there's not, nothing in the dark to fear perhaps there's nothing in the dark at all still i prefer a glimmer at least along the path for that give me a faith that flickers but never quite goes goes out Amen. And when I read that, I was just like, oh, like that, those, that was one of those moments where I felt like what you were saying reflects so much of like the inside of me. And for me, like the greatest authors are the ones that say the things that I can't quite make words out, but I feel like deep in my, my being. And like when I went through kind of my crisis of faith, that was like, I was willing to go way down, but I wasn't willing to get rid of faith. Like that was my line in the sand. And that's what that piece of art, that little piece of poetry to me, it's like, be willing to go where you need to go, but don't let that look that allow it to keep flickering at least a little bit. I love that. I'm so glad you picked up on that. And that, that continues to resonate with me over the years as well. I think I wrote that the initial version of that some time ago. And it's just amazing how evergreen it remains. Yeah. Yeah. So share a little bit about your heart for putting poetry in because most of it's yours, right? But I believe there's, there's 
other poetry from other writers, other quotes and things like that. So explain a little bit of why you put the book together the way that you did. Sure. So if you were to ask me to identify myself, the first noun I would use would be writer. I have considered myself a writer since I was five years old. I've wanted to publish a book since about the same time. Writing is the way that I experience and absorb and process the world and uh, the life around me. And I, while I you know, formally went back for my master's in writing fiction, the craft of writing overall is something I love. And I like to try out a lot of different genres and, and learn about different forms and see how they interplay. So I was delighted when I was putting this together. And it, as you were mentioning earlier, it's a mix of essays, reflections, some poetry, some prayers. Uh, I was delighted that David Morris, our publisher at Lake Drive Books, was really open to that format. And I'm, I'm edified to hear how you described it um, at the start of our conversation, Matt, about um, how how this this isn't that you recognize that how this is an atypical book and that it helps offer up a different lens. So for me, the structure and the format of the book was a critical component to the themes of the book that I wasn't here. I'm not here as a theologian. I cannot claim any answers. I claim no authority. I have only my shared lived experience and None of us, really, if anyone's being honest with themselves, none of us are linear. We really aren't. Our our questions, our doubts, our convictions will take a meandering path throughout our whole lives, I believe, if especially if we're doing it right. So the book, I wanted to meander in a similar way through those questions, through those formats to approach different ideas and different concepts from different angles so that no matter where the reader is as they're reading it, perhaps something will catch with them, like the suspension of disbelief caught for you at that moment. And maybe maybe the essay didn't do that for you, but the, but the prayer did. Or for maybe someone else, the reflection will really resonate and they might not be in the, the right head or heart space for the prayer at that moment. And that's great because I want it to be something people can return to in, in different seasons and at different moments and find something new to reflect on. Yeah, that's so good. I like that. That's a great perspective. Can I read another one that I really loved? Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? This one's it's another one that just resonated with my heart so much. It's called On Notice. God, I can't explain why this world moves me to tears. Maybe it's because it's so daring and futile by turns, but the bare fact remains it does. So I can only ask the tears to magnify my sight and not obscure it. Amen. Come on. Come on, Julia. That's like I, I'm not a relational things elude myself a little bit. Uh, my wife's an incredible relational being. And so I'm so thankful for her. But one of the interesting things about my story is this it like that that prayer, that poem is that like this world brings me to tears quite literally all the time. And a lot of times people will ask me the question, I don't understand how you can be so moved good or bad by the world, but sometimes so indifferent <laughs> to like human beings because I'm <laughs> kind of introverted and things like that. And, 
and I don't always have an answer. You know, I just know this world moves me to tears, but I love what you said in the end there that it would magnify, not obscure. And I think that's just, you know, again, so for me, you know, validating what you said for me, I'm a, I, I just read all the time. It's one of the things I love to do. And so I enjoyed reading the essays that you had, but for me, I'm in this place where I'm really dipping my toes back in this, you know, I, I stepped away from organized religion for a while, stepped away from a lot of things that have to do with my faith on purpose, you know, stepped away from reading the Bible, stepped away, away from praying. And now over this past year or so, like my whole goal in life is to like dip my toes back in, or in some ways, just like leap in head first. And prayer is one of the things I'm very focused on right now. And so as I was reading your book, the prayers were just like leaping off the page right into my face. And it was so life-giving, but I agree with you that I wonder if I go back and read the book, maybe in a year, maybe in two years, that it'll be something else that, that jumps out at me. So thank you for your, for the way that, that you wrote this book. I just love it. So I appreciate what you're saying about prayer uh, because it's a lifelong struggle for me. It it cracks me up that I've written what is essentially a book of prayers because (laughs) each of those is hard fought and hard won. And um, (laughs) I really struggle to pray in what I see or or what I've been brought up to believe is a traditional form of prayer, you know, getting on your knees, folding your hands, communing silently. And it's been really freeing as an adult. And as I've been able to explore uh, different modes of spirituality to realize just how diverse prayer expressions are globally and across religions. Um, And it has opened me up to, different ways of contemplation that jive a lot more with me. And it's only in my adulthood that I really have come to see that writing is a prayer for me and that that is time spent praying. Uh, And I wouldn't have characterized it that way in, in my younger days. And that's, that's just liberating to think about that. It doesn't, prayer is not one way. Um, another thing that I've really connected with over the years is the concept of, uh, the labyrinth and walking in a labyrinth. I don't consider myself a very physical person. I don't, I don't lead with my body on things, but there's something about the embodiment of walking a labyrinth and the idea that as I'm occupying my corporal self, my spiritual self is free to wander and reflect. I, the, the whole notion of that, the whole activity of it is just incredibly beautiful to me and offers me a way to connect that sometimes just kneeling won't, won't do. Yeah. I love, I love, we've always talked about in our family, like different postures of prayer, because mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, one of the things that my wife and I do all the time is we'll walk and we'll pray as we're walking usually out in, in nature. Cause we live out in the middle of the woods. Um, or other times just, you know, uh, you know, praying with our eyes open was a big thing for us for a while. You know, the, I don't know if you know, like the roots of like the folded hands and the eyes closed thing is a, it's a Catholic from what I understand. And it actually happened with kids in a Catholic school room where the, the, I don't know if it was a priest or a nun who was teaching this specific class, but there was kids that were like, you know, 
hitting each other, touching each other, <laughs> making jokes. And then the priest said, we're going to pray, fold your hands and close your eyes as a way to like, don't stop hitting each other and stop being distracted. And so the roots of it are even fascinating of why we do that. And then we just take it on as like, oh, that's the way everybody should pray. <laughs> well, maybe not, but I love that. <laughs> you know, and I think we're, you know, again, historically in this stage where we're doing that with everything, like we're learning how to pray differently. And, you know, for me, it's like, I'm just doing this prayer thing because it seems to have some sort of connection to the divine, but I'll never quite understand what the heck it is that we're even trying to do. But to me, I know my life feels better and more full and more rich and more valuable when I pray. <laughs> I don't know why I don't, I don't get it, you know, but it's not, I think maybe that's, and, and I think your book does this really well. Maybe that's the point that we're in right now is no longer trying to understand everything. Cause I felt growing up, going to Catholic school, again, evangelical space, I just felt like everybody wanted to know the answers to everything. And so maybe mm -hmm. what we're doing now is being okay with not knowing the answers, but still understanding the validity or the need or the desire for spirituality and God and prayer and the Bible and worship with other people. Like, I don't know why this draws me in, but it just does, you know? And I think we're going to have to be okay. Just like, it's almost like our, my kids are, are now at the stage where they're moving out of the house. It's like, you have to, you have to hold on tight as they let go, you know, cause it's hard. And I think we as a spiritual community are going to have to be ready for the hard work of letting go of certainty. And I think your book is a great, uh, great way to, to help us down that path. Thank you. Letting go of certainty. And I would also say letting go of outcomes, because I know for me personally, as a productivity minded person, you were actually just saying this about prayer. You know, I don't exactly know why I'm doing this or what I'm going to get out of it. That's that for me has been a very hard mindset to let go of. It's like, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and then ABC will occur. And that's not how, that's not how the relationship with divine works. It's not how prayer works. Uh, and th that practicing uh, releasing that expectation has also been helpful for me to not be so outcome driven. And that in turn also means to release certainty as well. Yeah, I just got off an interview for another podcast that I co-host with this uh, gentleman. He's uh, he's from overseas, and he is a founder of something called the Northumbria Community, and it's just this beautiful expression of what they do is they just kind of wait on God to show up. And he had this one quote when when he was talking. He said, um, and he was talking about this island that he lives on called Holy Island. And he said, when people come he, here, it says uh, he's he talked about how people just kind of run into spirituality by accident. He said, anytime you weren't demanding it, it was there. And I think maybe by wanting to know the answers, maybe by wanting the outcomes, we're such a great one plus one equals two kind of culture. You know, we want to, if I say this prayer and believe this Bible, then I'm going to heaven. Or if I say this prayer, then you're not going to be sick anymore or whatever. But I love his perspective of like, actually, when we don't demand from the divine, when we don't demand from God, that's when we find God the most, which is even saying it out loud messes with my mind a little bit, but I do feel like that's this, this space that we're moving into. And it's just going to be so fascinating. I'm so excited for the remainder of my life to see how people practice spirituality in new ways and, and some of the same old ways. And it's just going to be fun. I think. That's awesome. 
Can I ask you a Catholic question, Matt? You can. I don't know if I'll give you a Catholic answer, though. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's okay. Oh, don't worry. We're not talking about a canonical question or anything. Oh, oh that's good. That's good. This, the, I was thinking about this a little earlier when, when you were talking about your experience of, of being raised in the Catholic Church. Do you ever miss the culture of Catholicism? And I don't necessarily mean just the culture of a particular parish, uh, but, but the culture of being Catholic. Yeah. You know, yes and no. Um, certain things. Yes. Other things. No. Um, I miss the, I miss the, the beauty of, I'm reading a book right now on silence. I miss the silence of the Catholic church, uh, the community that showed up in silence, you know, so often we show up at church and it's so loud and it's so, you know, there's so much going on. And I remember going to church and our Catholic church would be filled with all these people that we all knew each other because I went to a very, very small town I grew up in and we all knew each other and we greeted each other kindly as we walked in. And then when we got in there, we all understood that we are in the midst of something very sacred. And so we would just be there quietly together. And again, maybe it's just because I'm a little bit introverted. I love that. But then also the thing I miss is that when it was time for expression or when it was time for fun, the Catholic church did that so well. We would, our priest was from Ireland and we'd have this huge Irish festival. And sometimes we'd have this, they built this concrete structure so we could have these outdoor meals together. There was beer tents. There was, it was like, there was some sort of understanding that the community had that there's a time for, for silence and reflection. There's a time for fun and partying. And so that part about it, I miss the part about it that I don't miss. And I kind of alluded to it already is they always felt like they were right all the time. So if you weren't Catholic, you didn't belong, you know? So if you were Lutheran, well, you just stay over there on the other side of town in your Lutheran church, or, or if you were assembly of God on the edge of town, like we don't even want to hear what's going on over there. Right. And so, so yes and no. Yeah, I find, but, and I'm rambling here, which I tend to do, but I wanted to like re-engage in church a few years ago. And so I went, my parents still will go to Catholic mass, although they now have stopped, stopped as well, but I decided, Hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to love this. I'm so excited because I do love Catholic mass. And I went and it was a polka mass and I was so bummed. I'm, and I'm Polish. So I like polka music. Don't get me wrong, but you should, <laughs> have a, you should never put those two things together. And so I just left laughing. I was like, good effort. Good effort. We'll try it. Another time. Well, I'm so Th thank you for being game yeah. to answer my question. What's so interesting to me is that the things that you uh, loved and that you connected with about the culture to me are an almost one-to-one -one overlap with community mm. to what we were talking about earlier. And what you disliked was, was not tied to community that was mm -hmm. tied to hierarchy, I suppose, yeah. for lack of a better I term. Suppose, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, it, it's such a, I, I think it is a good example of, of what we were discussing earlier about what, what people have come to miss about uh, being, being part of more formal worship communities is this, the sense that you will be journeying with people at your side and you're all creating and holding space for one another and together you develop this uh, shared support and shared understanding and shared path toward 
connecting with the divine. And because it can, it can get lonely, especially if, if for so many of us, when we feel like we're praying or striving to connect with God and we're, we're not necessarily feeling like we're receiving anything, I think other humans help make it real for us. And if you're not having the opportunity to interact with other humans, that can be really lonely and isolating. Yeah. I think if you invited me to church, Julia, and then I said, well, tell me about what you're inviting me to. And you described it like that. Like you wouldn't have to ask me twice. Like I would be there. But I think the unfortunate thing is throughout history, like church has been this place where people teach you what's right or wrong about God. And and I don't think anybody, I think very few people are interested in that anymore. It seems like less and less people, but I think most of us are interested in taking this journey together, you know, and, and being okay with the, the, the strange space that lies in that, in that idea of, of spirit or God and, and all of that. So, all right. So, uh, our, our publisher, now I've been asking this question of people at the end of my podcast for years now. And then David had us all or, or offered for us all to like, write where we saw hope in our current reality. So, you know, based on you're out in Virginia, right. And you're, you're writing this book, you're, you know, jumping back into, you know, uh, attending Catholic mass again, you're, this is kind of the space that you're, you're moving in and that's all in the, the reality of the world that we live in. So where are you currently seeing hope for, I guess, our humanity? Interestingly, because you're asking me this question today, as opposed to when I wrote the essay for Lake Drive Books six months ago, my answer is different. And I think a little more concrete and a little more genuinely hopeful than what I originally wrote six months ago. As I sit here today and Amen has been out in the world for a couple of weeks and people are starting to read it and react to it. I am f- just filled with so much hope that what I had believed to be the truest and most resonant parts of the book and why I wrote it actually are the most resonant part of the books. And it is bearing out that people are desiring this connection. They are seeking community. They want to find and just dwell in love wherever possible. And this book became such a love letter to the desire to believe and to the people who hold that desire. Uh, And it's just incredible to see them receive that love letter now and um, hopefully pass it forward and and extend their their hands to others uh, and join even more people in it. And that gives me a lot of hope. As we bring it home today, I guess if there's one thing that we take from this interview, it's just simply to be okay with the questions that you have with your faith. And as you're okay with questions and doubts and you engage in conversations within the context of community, I think you'll be surprised at how alive that may make you feel. So special thanks to Julia Rocky for joining the conversation today. If you want to get your hands on that book, which I really encourage you to do, again, the name of it is Amen? And 
And you can grab that off of Julia's website, which is juliarocky.com. Now, the last name is spelled different than it sounds. And so it's Julia, then it's R-O-C-C-H-I, juliarocky.com. Make sure you go over there, not only to order the book, but just check out everything that she's got going on. Of course, you can find me on social media, which is just Facebook and Instagram. And you can find that under my name, Matt Kinzer. On Facebook, you can find Chasing Goodness as well. And of course, as always, let's keep chasing goodness together.